Hey lunatics, you're listening to Let the Meat Grass, a podcast exploring real food, broken ecosystems, and a better way to live. I'm Austin Williams, your farmer and podcast host. Before I began farming, I was a public school teacher who had grown up in the suburbs of St. Louis. And if you were like me, you had no idea what was real or who to trust when it came to our food. If you're listening to this podcast, there's a chance you've begun to doubt what huge food corporations are trying to sell you is as healthy as it's cracked up to be. And for good reason. I'm dedicating this show to you, the lunatics, the crazies, who have chosen to opt out, to stray beyond the safe and familiar confines of grocery store walls to support a farmer. And not just any farmer, but a farmer whose mission is to heal the land and nourish the people. You see, conventional farms are dying. We've been losing farmers for well over a century now. When 100% of us eat and only 1% of us farm, we have a math problem. Help me do the math by sticking around, listening closely, and voting with your forks to support real food. See you soon. Welcome back to another episode of Faith and Family Fellowship. I'm your host, Dallas Montague, and here in the studio today, we have a special guest, Austin Williams. Austin, how are you today? I'm doing very well myself, sir. Thank you very much. Yeah, it's good to have you here on the podcast today. So, um, Austin, you are a regeneration farmer, a husband, and a podcast host of a podcast called Let Them Eat Grass. Is that correct? That is absolutely correct. So um, before we get started, Austin, I'm just going to open us up in prayer, okay? That sounds really good to me. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this podcast. I just pray that you go before us and you lead us in this podcast. And I just pray for Austin's words to, uh, to go into us and to help us out. And I just pray for our listeners' hearts to be open to receive today what we have. And I just pray that you will lead this podcast. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So Austin, for the next five to 10 minutes, can you just share with us your Christian testimony, how you met God and why you still believe today? I absolutely can, Dallas. Thanks for asking. So if I had to look back on my Christian testimony and, you know, as we, as we say here in Christian circles, testimony is just a fancy word for, you know, when you started to believe, uh, you know, when, when did I start to believe? I mean, I really credit my family growing up for the majority of my Christian inheritance, right? I was surrounded by grandparents, parents, and, you know, even siblings, uh, who were faithful believers. I, I had, uh, was in a Christian school. Uh, I, you know, I went to church on Sundays and so I had an immense, immense amount of contact with, uh, the Christian faith and with people who are very, very generous and gregarious and very, uh, consistent in their faith. And I really, really appreciated that. So, you know, it was, it was definitely, um, uh, they definitely, it was, the deck was stacked in my favor uh, to, you know, that I was around all this really good Christian influence that, uh, that I uh, may someday, ha- you know, decide that I would make it my own. And one day I did. And I really look at that around uh, the start of, of my high school when I was in ninth grade. So maybe about 15 years old is when I really decided to say, you know, this is what my parents believed. But not only that, this is what I believe. This is my faith. I have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not just my family's thing or my country's thing. It's my thing. And, you know, that I really credit that as the beginning of, you know, of even the, the line of work that I'm in today. Um, I, I made that decision now, not fully aware of, but now that I just had my first daughter was born, 
I'm, I really understand how like you want that this hope and this faith that you have, you want it to be able to pass, be passed on to the next generation and the generation after that. Like you want this to be a multi-generational thing. And because uh, that's really the way that I look at the Christian faith in general. I see my faith as something like a progressive dinner. Uh, so in a progressive dinner, you go to multiple houses over the course of a single meal. So you'll have the appetizer at one house and you'll go down the street. You'll have the dinner at the next house. And then you'll go down the street again and you'll have like the dessert at the last house. And I really look at the entire Christian faith that stretches from the first century AD until now, until when Jesus comes back, like that same progressive dinner. Like it's cool to think that like I am sharing in the same meal that Paul and Peter and the apostles and the disciples did 2000 years ago. You know, there was many, many appetizers and dinners before me, and there's going to be many, many after me, but then we're all going to be able to share in the dessert, which is when Jesus Christ comes back in power as our Lord and savior. And so like, I think that there's just like this beautiful continuity there that really connects me to all these other believers. And hopefully that I'm going to be able to pass on to my children. So that sort of, you know, desire and wanting to do something that's long lasting and that is, uh, that is steadfast is probably part of what led me into my specific line of work, which is regenerative farming. So regenerative farming is a specific kind of farming. If I had to describe it simply, it's, it places a huge emphasis on stewardship. And uh, it really, like the way that I come at it from is that I look at um, the land and I ask, you know, how can I heal this? You know, how can I return this to the way that God had originally designed it? Uh, so I look back to, into Genesis and I look at the Garden of Eden and I look at um, you know, God giving man dominion over the garden. And it wasn't this sort of like dominion to ravage and pillage and set on fire, but it was a dominion to, to take care of. And it was a, it was a dominion to, to keep it at its, its most beautiful and at its most vibrant and growing and lush. And so when we look at our farm, we don't ask like, you know, what can we do to increase profit? Even though we do have to be profitable, you know, our very first question is, you know, what can we do to heal it? You know, what can we do to, uh, make it more beautiful. And we, the way we do that is we use animals. Uh, we use animals the way God meant them to be used. You know, we don't stick them in, in a muddy lot and feed them corn. You know, we let them eat grass every single day of the year. You know, we move them around the farm like wild herds of animals used to move, right? So in America, there used to be herds of millions of bison and those have all been killed, right? They were killed by people who were going West like a hundred years ago. But even though those herds of bison are gone, we can still simulate those massive, massive herds of animals that used to you know, number millions on a very small scale on a small farm because we understand it and because we know that that's the way that God designed it. He designed animals to come through a landscape and to trample it and to disturb it and then to leave for three, four, five, six months. And in that time period, all that vegetation has time to regenerate and regrow. And so in a very broad sense, we're just trying to farm the way nature intended. Uh, instead of dumping artificial nitrogen on the ground in the form of for the fertilizer, we just, we, we let specific plants grow that otherwise would be classified as weeds or, or unwanted trees because they just suck nitrogen out of the air. You know, we don't spray herbicides, pesticides, or fungicides on our fields to get rid of the weeds. We just let sheep eat the weeds because they love the weeds. Um, we really just try to let nature work the way God intended it to.
And so that's a really 10,000 foot view of like the kind of farming we do. Yeah. With that mindset, um, would you suggest that you are in the minority with that? We are definitely in the minority. Uh, something like 70 to 90% of the beef produced in the U.S. is conventional. And probably another in that remaining 30%, anywhere from 28 to 29% of the beef is other beef is like some different form of grass fed and grass fed can be can on a label can mean anything from uh, this cow is on pasture every day of the year and is rotated around the farm and is grazing and is, you know, being treated like God wants all the way to their, you know, sad cows in a feedlot and they are getting fed alfalfa pellets, which are just dried grass pellets. And that is their main source of food. And like, it's technically grass fed because they are eating grass, but like, that's not what you picture in mind when you're eating grass fed meat. You have this in mind that like this cow is living the life that a cow wants to live. And, but like, that's the other part of meat. And so then there's like this 1% little bit of this, like kind of emerging group of farmers that are saying, no, like that's not okay. Um, 99% of the poultry in the U S is, uh, grown conventionally and are, they're basically raised in, um, these big things called CAFOs, which are just concentrated animal feeding operations. And they will never, ever know what it's like to see sunshine. Uh, they'll never know what it's like to, you know, feel grass underneath their feet or to, to catch a cricket or, or a grasshopper. Um, it's crazy. So yeah, this is definitely the minority. Um, but I really do think it's the future. This put, put it in a hopeful uh, frame. Yeah. And are you where are you currently living at? So right now I am living in mid-Missouri. I'm living halfway between St. Louis and Kansas City. We're we're living in what's kind of called the breadbasket of the United States. Uh, So there's lots of agriculture around us. You know, all of my neighbors are more or less farmers to some extent. Uh, Nobody is doing what we're doing, um, but farming is a very visible part of the landscape around here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's very interesting because I grew up in northwest Missouri, and so I'm familiar with the landscape and all of that, but I've never heard this side of the farming. So it's very interesting. Yeah, I hear you. And I'll be honest with you either, but a year and a half ago, I didn't know anything either. I was as green as they came. I knew nothing about farming, zero. Like I had never touched a cow, never seen a cow more than a mile away before I stepped on a farm a year and a half ago. So I was, I was right there with you. What really inspired you to get involved with that? Well, uh, that's a, it's kind of a long story. Um, so I, if I had to boil it down, um, I was, uh, I was in college and I met, uh, on a hiking trip and this is another long story, but I met my wife and, uh, I was at the time, uh, in college to get a high, a degree in teaching high school English. And I met my wife, we started dating long distance. I moved a couple States away and I was teaching and I was really burned out. I was not loving it. It was exhausting. I was never given a mentor or a curriculum. And I was just completely out of ideas and just feeling really burned out and really getting increasingly sure that I didn't want to do this anymore. And I had a friend who I'd met in college at the Christian campus house where I lived um, call me and he basically broached me the offer of what would you think about coming back and being a farmer? Now, this guy had grown up on a farm. He'd spent his whole life on a farm. And uh, he he got an agricultural degree in college. But don't get me wrong, like you can't get a regenerative agricultural degree in college. Like 
the only kind of degree you'll get in college is a conventional degree. So it was kind of while he was in college that he really radicalized and started going more of the route towards regenerative agriculture. And he said, he's like, Austin's like, if you come back to Missouri, I will train you. I will teach you everything I know. And I'll teach your wife everything I know. You two can work together. Um, and you can even live in the house that they were that they had been renting. They were going to move like a couple cities away back to the, like his family farm. And he's like, you can live in the house that we were living in. And it's probably has the prettiest view in all of mid-Missouri. It's just, it's gorgeous. Um, so, you know, my wife and I, talked about it and we decided like, you know, we, we, there's no life. There's no, we were living in a pretty expensive state. We're like, there's not a really good life for a family here. Uh, we want to have a family. We want to have uh, a life where we're not always worrying about paying the rent and all the bills and a teacher's salary out. Uh, it was in Colorado, just wasn't cutting it. So I was like, you know what? Like enough of this, uh, let's, let's pull up roots and go. So we packed our bags uh, a couple months later, and we moved to Missouri and started a farm uh, from wow. basically square one. There was I knew nothing. I was I growing up in the suburbs. I I can't I, basically just I ask anyone listening to this just think about what you know about a farm, and that's probably what I knew. I might have even known less. It sounds like God definitely opened a door for you. He definitely did. Uh, there was many, many doors, many doors that were opened uh, before I was able to get where I am today. Yeah. yeah. And so with all of that farming and all of that experience, all those things that you have learned over the years, you ha- you created a podcast called Let Them Eat Grass, right? Yes, that that is correct. I'm and so you're doing the farming on the side and, and then the you're doing the podcast on the side. Podcast. You could call this yes. like the last little remnant of my English teacher self that's that's still alive. Um, I I still do love using my brain and I love reading and I love writing and uh, doing a podcast is a way that like that for me to it's that outlet for you, yeah. This message and like let yeah, it's an outlet for it. it's a creative outlet. Um, hopefully I want to earn an income from it someday, but right now we're kind of at the point where I'm just, uh, hopefully bringing awareness of this to people's lives. I'm promoting people who, uh, you know, use the land and, um, treat animals sustainably and regeneratively and ethically. Um, so, you know, right now that's about where I am, but yeah, this is, this is definitely a side project for what I do full time. Yeah. And so your name of that podcast is let them eat grass. That is right. Yes. And so it sounds like the inspiration behind that was just the, your beliefs in the, the farming and all those other yes. things. Can you talk about that a yeah. little bit more? Yes, I can. Yeah. So Let Them Eat Grass uh, was supposed to be somewhat of a pun. It, it was it was like a double entendre. So there's like, it's kind of twofold. So I was trying to play off that uh, infamous phrase spoken by, as legend goes, Marie Antoinette uh, in France when there was this horrible, horrible... Um, I think it was a drought or there was this, uh, there was the, there was a lot of hunger in the country. I can't, I can't remember what word, uh, you, you needed to use to describe that, but, uh, the peasants were very hungry and, uh, she infam- infamously said, let them eat cake. Um, and it was this very, uh, condescending and like this, uh, very blunt uh, way of trying to address their needs. And also it was very insensitive because it, wasn't possible because like actually cake needed certain ingredients to make it that they were short of. So like showed how little she knew. And I kind of took that as like, let them eat grass is kind of like conventional agriculture's like their response to what we're doing. Like, like let them eat grass, like whatever. Um, like, okay. Like you, you clearly don't understand. Um, so it's kind of like something that's ludicrous, 
Uh, but it's also an imperative, like you said, like, no, like on one level, it's, you know, I was trying to do a pun. And on the other level, it was, it's a command, like, no, 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 let them eat grass, like, let them be cows, let them be chickens, let them be pigs, let them be sheep, um, let them eat grass. Um, that was uh, the idea behind the name. Um, it really, I think, is uh, the key to having a more sustainable future for um, for us and for really for the world, because I think 30% of the agricultural land that is zoned for agricultural uses worldwide goes to making vegetables or planting and harvesting vegetables that gets fed to livestock. It's incredibly inefficient beyond like among a number of things. Um, it's not what animals are meant to eat. Cows have a force chambered stomach specifically designed by God to process grass, to convert cellulose into chemical energy, and then to poop out the excess in the form of manure, which is like the most beautiful, nourishing, and rich in nutrient thing you could possibly put on the ground. It's amazing. Um, they're actually, it's like our cows, like after like maybe one or two days after they've gone through a field, their manure piles are gone because all of the, the, you know, the insects and the dung beetles and the flies have laid their eggs in them. And they've like taken it down into the ground and they've like, the ground has just absorbed it. And it's like the slow release nitrogen capsule, but there are cow pies on our farm from the last guy who farmed it, who was like conventional, they're like five or six years old and nothing's touched them because, you know, they're full of vaccines and antibiotics. And, you know, they ate the cows ate corn, which is an unnatural thing for them to eat. So like nothing's touched them and they probably won't disappear for another 10 years. And like, that's just the difference that I see every day in the kind of farming we do, like working against nature compared to working with nature as God intended it. Wow, that's really interesting. Like you were mentioning, yeah, that their cow pies are different than your cow pies. That's just a direct, you know, you can see clearly like we're making a difference. We're doing something that people aren't doing. That's right. And your mission is to heal the land. And so you talked about that a little bit. And something I want to mention is there's actually a church in Brazil called Serra Nossa Terra, which means heal the land, heal our land, which whenever you were saying your mission was heal the land, I just couldn't stop but think about that church. And so that's just really interesting to me. Like, wow, we're supposed to heal the land. We're supposed to make a difference. That's why we're here. Yeah. yeah, I think, I think there's like a ton of of theological implications for what we do. Like, I mean, I see like, I mean, there's this huge theological implication of watching this terribly mismanaged piece of land. That's just, you can call it just dead. And you can even think of the analogy of like being dead in sin and then just working with it day after day and month after month and watching it go through this succession of ecological changes to the point where it's healthy again. Um, And I think that's what's, you know, the power of Jesus Christ working in our lives. Um, I think it's also important to say that it's not immediate. Like Jesus can come in and I think there was a, the story of him and somebody who was demon possessed. And like, you know, he, he said like, you know, I, I got them out, but if you, if you don't keep them out, they'll come back. And I think that like when it comes to something as serious as possession or, you know, some, something falling within a whole range of things is I think that like, if we have sin in our lives or we've really messed up at some point, like it's not always just a matter of being forgiven. And then you just get to live scot-free. Like there are physical consequences to what we've done. 
And it can take years, like alcohol addiction or drug addiction or, you know, any sort of addiction, pornography addiction. Like these are things that take years and years, if not lifetimes to recover from. And I see the same thing on our farm. Like when we come in, yeah, like we know how to heal it, but it's not a quick fix. Like the first year after we come through a piece of ground that's really been mismanaged, like the first thing that pops up are weeds and it looks horrible. And like our initial reaction is just, you know, is, you know, they look ugly. So we want to cut the weeds down, but we know that weeds are actually nature's bandaid. They're just our nature's way of covering over an exposed piece of ground. And that if you let them go through that stage, if you let them, if you let it, you know, phase out, they will eventually be replaced by nice green, soft grass, you know, by clover and by fescue. But, you know, in conventional agriculture, they'd come in with their, with their herbicide and their pesticide and they'd spray down the weeds and they'd kill everything. And next year, you know, surprise, surprise in that same spot, there will be a weed, but it's like, if you just let the process work, if you just, you know, trust Jesus to heal you and it might be a gradual process, like, you know, you will have those, like you, he'll take that, you know, dead, dead environment that is your heart and that broken environment. And he'll turn it into something that's alive and lush and growing and beautiful. Um, we just have to trust him to do that. I think that's a great example because personally, my testimony is I was a drug addict and God took my took me when I was dead and the process happened, you know, and then he did the work. And yeah, it's definitely a process. I think you're exactly right. Mm-hmm. And then for our listeners, once you confess your yeah. sin, it's forgiven, but there is also real world consequences, real world things you have to walk out from those things that mm-hmm. you did. And so, yeah, you're exactly right. That's great. Mm-hmm. My next question is, you released a podcast recently about the lungs of the world, about the fires in in Brazil and the rainforest. Yeah, yeah, something that you're probably, um, I guess, a little bit maybe even more aware of and are affected by than I am. Um, the uh, the Amazon, uh, there was a, several articles and you know several uh, tweets and uh, social media shoutouts by several celebrities about how the lungs of the world are on fire. And uh, they're really talking about the Brazilian Amazon. And they were referencing the fact that the Brazilian Amazon makes, according to them, like 20% of the world's oxygen. And so, you know, the analogy follows that if the lungs of the world are on fire, then, you know, we're probably not going to be able to breathe because, you know, they're, it's been burned down to the ground. And so there's going to be a precipitous drop in oxygen across the globe. Now, as, as, you know, headline grabbing as that is, and, and, you know, that really gets us a little bit scared because, you know, we all have to breathe. It's not a true indictment of the situation. It's not, um, it's not a, an actual like scientific understanding of what's going on because even like the, first off, the Amazon is burning. Uh, however, it's really been burning at the same pace now as it has been for the last 20 years. Um, it's actually, um, there's has been years in the past 20 years that has actually burned a lot more than it has now. This is fire season for the Amazon. So it's not really a matter of the fact that it's burning. Um, and it's not even necessarily a matter that, that it's burning more than usual. Cause it's not, it's burning about the same amount. Um, the, the biggest glaring issue was that it's not really the oxygen that we should be concerned with because um, it's actually misunderstood that even though plants do uh, release oxygen into the air, they also consume oxygen through a second process called respiration. So they release oxygen through photosynthesis and they consume oxygen through respiration. Uh, the Amazon 
actually doesn't make 20% of the world's oxygen. It makes closer to 6%, but it also consumes 6% of the world's oxygen. So it's really a net wash as far as oxygen is concerned. In my opinion, the most important thing about the Amazon is really the fact that it's the carbon dioxide that's being let out into the air by uh, the kind of agriculture that's being practiced there. So um, there's a lot of agriculture in Brazil. There's some of it in kind of like in the US is grass fed. Some of it is more conventional. And they're using this type of agriculture where they're coming into an area that has these, you know, this old growth rainforest, trees that are hundreds of years old, and they're cutting a lot of them down to the ground and then just burning the area. And so they're releasing hundreds and hundreds of years of CO2 into the air that's just trapping heat in the, in the back into the atmosphere. And honestly, that's the kind of agriculture that, uh, and that, that kind of agricultural practice is, I think, what we should um, we should be afraid of, or, or, even, or at the very least, maybe not be afraid of it, but, um, really want to be more of a steward of, of a kind of e- ecological area like the Amazon, because I don't, uh, I don't doubt that there, there is, um, I'm sure some, some, uh, naturally occurring pastures somewhere in some areas in the Amazon, but, uh, to cut down the majority of, this forest that has, you know, these species that exist nowhere else on the planet and has all this carbon dioxide that's just been trapped for all this time, uh, that has really huge ramifications. Um, and they're like, I just know on our farm, uh, we don't cut down all of the trees on our farm. Like they provide a lot of really good things, uh, to the ecosystem. Um, I think that there's, uh, thinning of trees is not, is not always a bad idea. Uh, we don't burn the trees after we thin them. We just thin them. And then uh, that allows all these grazing areas to come in, animals to come in between the trees and to graze. And then once the canopy is opened up, sunlight comes through and the sunlight comes down, then grass starts growing in between the trees. Uh, And then like that, like kind of a savanna kind of uh, environment is what we're actively selecting for on our farm. And, you know, I think that can be used in part, in parts of the Amazon. Uh, However, that's not what's being uh, utilized. They're just clear cutting everything, burning it. And they're not, uh, so, and if you do that for the first like three years, the soil will be really rich with like to have this, like, it's essentially like, we'll call it a drug addiction. Like there's just all these nutrients that just get deposited by these burned logs. And then after those three years, the soil really dies because there's nothing left to sustain it. You've cut down all the trees, you've all the, all the root systems of the trees have withered up and there's, there's nothing even to hold the soil together. So the soil will just wash away with the next rain. Um, it's, it is not wise ecological stewardship for sure. Yeah. Um, and I, the next question is what would your encouragement be to those who maybe have that out of sight, out of mind mentality? Like maybe I don't see what's going on. It's not affecting me, but what would your encouragement be to those people? Yeah. Um, so that, that is, it's a dangerous thing and it's something that every single human on the planet succumbs to me included. Like it's it's easy to say that something that's not in my neck of the woods doesn't affect me, so I don't have to care about it. Um, the problem is, is that God's created this beautiful global system that reminds us constantly that everything is affected by everything else. Um, for instance, like the fact that, you know, I could go to a national park or a protected area of my country and... I could make sure to never litter. I could never do anything bad, never harm any living 
thing or damage any inanimate object in that area and leave. But I could still be causing damage to that area depending on how I live at home, right? So um, trash has to go somewhere too is one of my favorite things to say. Like our choices here affect our most beautiful and cherished and prized places. So, you know, even if I never take any plastic into a national park, like just because I threw it away at home doesn't mean the trash magically disappears. Like that trash has to go to a landfill. And I think that we need to be like, take like as Christians, take a really deep look at how like, you know, our trash stream, we need to take a look at like, you know, the kind of like what we're consuming, how many trips we're going on and really just asking ourselves like, you know, is this a wise use of God's resources? Like, is this, um, could, do we have to live on this much or could we live on less? And that's honestly a question that me and my family have been asking recently. Like, I think we need to start, you know, reducing our trash load. And, you know, and even though we're not being forced to do this, this is like a voluntary thing. I think it's something that, you know, the fact that we were created as stewards, as Christians, I think that's something that we should all be asking. Like, how can we live more sustainably and even better regeneratively on this earth? Because the kind of farming that I'm doing isn't sustainable farming. It's regenerative farming, right? It's not just keeping it how it is which is bad, it's making it better. So as Christians, like, I think there's so much hope and encouragement because it's like, not only do we just have to like, I don't think we should just try to neutralize our presence on the earth. I think we should attempt to make the earth better because we are here. Um, so I, le- I actually labeled my last episode, leave a trace, because I think we should leave a trace on the planet in the best possible way. Wow. Yeah, I think we're definitely called to be the city on the hill, you know, the light of the world. And we're here to be representations of who God is, you know, and I think you're exactly right. Mm-hmm. That's a that's a wonderful picture. Of just I'm a visual learner. And so just to see that picture in my mind, I'm like, wow, you really are doing things differently. Uh, we, we try every day. Another interesting podcast that you had was titled Localism. Could localism cure globalism? And you were saying that um, immersing ourselves in the culture that we're in now, instead of trying to go everywhere else to the ends of the earth, um, it would be better. What would your, can you go into deep that, go into that a little bit deeper for us? Yes. Yeah. And there's, uh, and I'm glad that I get to talk about this episode here, uh, because I can definitely go more into the theological side of it than I did on my podcast, which I still did touch on briefly. Um, I think that there's a tremendous amount to be gained by trying to be very local and rather than you know, trying to cure our boredom with travel instead using it to invest in the lives of others who are really struggling and hurting um, and maybe even deep in sin in our communities and really trying to help them um, to get to their highest potential that God wants for them. Um, and that can really be done from a local setting. And, you know, we're, you don't have to use very many resources to drive around town compared to, you know, driving you know, across the country or flying across the world. Um so I'm a huge advocate of, of being local, um, you know, being involved in your community, being involved in your church, even like that's huge. Uh, I think though that, and I'll say that all the big, but like I'm not downing like global mission trips or outreach projects at all, because um, God did say, go to the ends of the earth. Right. Um, he doesn't mean for every, but like every single Christian doesn't need to go to the ends of the earth. Like every single Christian does not need to be a long distance missionary, but us as a body, as a corporate body of believers, like we do stretch to the ends of the earth, right? So like there are believers on every continent and like, and that, and 
I think that there is still definitely a place for pe- believers on one continent to go to another continent and to reinvigorate the lives of the believers there. Um, when I went on mission trips in college, I made, uh, I, at first I was like s- slightly critical of short-term mission trips, but even like my, uh, my minister in college, he reminded me, he's like, you know, Austin, long-term mission trips are good. Um, obviously they, they do a lot of good for the communities and for people who go on them, but short-term mission trips are also good because, you know, there's a lot of encouragement that comes from people who are new to an area and who, you know, they haven't been battle hardened and they kind of approach, um, the, the seven days that they're there from the sort of like kind of wide eyed wonder. Um, I, I know that personally, because like whenever I bring like our customers or one of my friends on our farm and I'm explaining to them what we do, you know, this is my job now. So like, there's, I don't have the same wonder I had at the beginning, but like when I see their eyes just open wide, when they see me call for our, you know, 120 cows and all the, like I call for our cows and they come at the sound of my voice. I don't have to shout. I don't have to drive around. I don't have to fly around in an attack helicopter. Like they just come when I call and the people are so amazed by that. And it, sometimes it takes me seeing them to like, remember like how awesome this thing I do is every single day. Um, so I'm a huge, huge proponent of localism. I think you should totally be uh, investing in your local communities. Uh, but also like, you know, it's, it's not wrong to want to, to travel for vacation or for a mission trip. Right. Um, I think there's a place for both. I think you're exactly right. So myself, I've been doing missions this entire year and I've been in Asia and now I'm living in Brazil and I, I know the importance of being sent out by God, but I also very much appreciate and see the awareness of staying, being called to stay. That's also just as important as it is to be called to be sent. Because I believe we do have an inheritance. God has given us a community, a city, people around us to pray into, to help, and to encourage, you know, just as much as we're called to be in a different nation. And so that's something I like to preach here in Brazil mm-hmm. is, guys, you don't, God is calling you to be sent out. 100% he's ascending God. He's sending you out, but it's not to another nation necessarily. It might be across the street. Like use your community, use the, you know, the, the situations and the opportunities that God gives you. I think you're exactly right. I love that. I agree with you, Dallas. And so uh, just to close it out, I would just like to uh, direct the, the listeners to your traffic. Um, however, you would like them to connect with you. Maybe it's Instagram, Facebook, um, your podcast. How would you like people to reach out to you, Austin? Absolutely. Yeah. I'm, I'm just a tiny bit of a hermit. I don't actually have any social media, but I do have ways that you can get in contact with me or just follow along with the podcast. So the easiest way just to follow along with the podcast is to go um, to what my podcast name is, which is let them eat grass.org. And that's my website. And you can, I'm on every, uh, podcast directory known to man. I'm on iTunes. I'm on, uh, Google Play Podcasts. I'm on Castbox. I'm on uh, anything. Anything that you listen to podcasts on, I'm on it. Um, so letthemeatgrass.org if you want to listen. Um, and please subscribe. Uh, that really helps me out because um, the more subscribers I get, you know, the more uh, the possibility I have of attracting people who who want to sponsor a podcast episode or even just people who want to listen more. Um, there's there is kind of a snowball effect when it comes to subscriptions. And then also, if you have a question for me, like maybe you really want to know more about regenerative agriculture, you want to know more about food, email me at letthemeatgrass.org. Or I should say, <laughs> rather than letthemeatgrass.org, uh, it's austin at 
eatgrass.org. Uh, that's my email address. Uh, so those are probably the two best ways you have of getting in contact with me. That's awesome. Well, Austin, thank you so much for being a part of the podcast today. I don't know about you guys, but I learned a lot of things I didn't know before, and I'm really encouraged. And um, I'm just going to say that I have listened to many of Austin's podcasts um, through Spotify and through other platforms you can go, but through Spotify, and I'm, it's really interesting. I actually talked with a, one of my English students today about some of the topics that you had in your podcasts, and so you're making a difference, and I'm encouraged. And definitely with the Brazil things and just growing up in Missouri myself, I'm very interested and I learned a lot. So thank you so much for being a part of it. I'm, I'm so glad I could help you out. I'm, I'm glad. Please use it, my episodes, in any ways that you feel fit. And so awesome. Just to close it out, would you be able to close this out in prayer? I certainly could. Dear Lord, uh, thank you for this time that uh, myself and Dallas got to spend together today, uh, honoring you and uh, hopefully preaching your name to the nations. Uh, Thank you for this beautiful world you've given us, uh, for the ability for us to talk you know, over, over computer on different sides of the planet, and also just this beautiful ecological world we get to live in that, in which everything is connected and reminds us of that truth every day. Um, I pray that every day that we are wiser stewards than we were the day before. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Oh, woof. Which one are you? I created lots of extra content for you on my Patreon page if you want a deeper dive into my life and the world of regenerative agriculture. I need your support to keep doing this. Depending on how much you want to give, you might either be a brood of hens, guard pups, a flock of sheep, or a herd of cows. Personally, I'm a sticker fanatic. I have a Hydro Flask water bottle on display in my home covered with about 100 stickers from every corner of Colorado. It's one of my most prized possessions. I created a special offer for my fellow sticker fanatics where you'll get a high quality sticker of the podcast logo in the mail if you pledge your support to me on Patreon. Put it on your water bottle, the back windshield, your laptop, a guitar case, or a street light if you're really feeling gutsy. I know it's only taken like six months for me to get it together, but it's been kind of busy here. My dairy cows definitely consumed most of my day, and I just recently dried them off. I have so much time, I barely know what to do with myself. This podcast isn't a super slick production. It's just me in a dark basement in the wee hours of the morning. I need your financial support to keep producing this. If this show means anything to you, if you find some value in it, please consider donating. However you came to find this podcast, your support, any support would be greatly appreciated. If you have any questions or thoughts about this episode or want to sponsor a future one, shoot me an email to austin at letthemeatgrass.org. I might even include your question along with my answer at the end of my next episode. If you thoroughly enjoyed this podcast, subscribe or download it on whatever podcast directory you use. If you're using iTunes and are feeling mighty generous for the next five minutes of your life, please rate it and leave a review. The more reviews I get, the better my chances of being featured in a spotlight. And as self-serving as that sounds, the more attention this podcast gets, means that I get to improve the production quality for you. Production assistance was provided by the kissable Kelly Williams. That's my wife. Music was performed by the bodacious Brandon Nelson. 
If you like Scandinavian folk music, you can find his album Old Yarns by Eloin. That's E-L-O-I-G-N at Bandcamp. Cover art was drawn by the radical Rebecca Rabin, and sound engineering was done by the jubilant Jeffrey Hook. If you want any of these marvelous people to help you with your projects, just let me know. That's all I have for now. Stay with me, won't you? Mm-hmm.